So, so happy to be back. Whoops, you might want that too. At Refresh. I've been away for three weeks in a row, and um, we've been, you've been going through the book of Philippians, and um, as I was reading through it again, going over it, preparing for this week, I was like, wow, like Paul's writing a letter to his church that he really, really loves and he misses. And I'm like, wow, that's how I feel. I haven't been at my church for like three weeks and I miss being there. Um, but I can happily say to you, I haven't been in prison. That is not the reason why I haven't been here. In fact, I've had the privilege of being a part of um, three awesome weekends. So the first weekend that I was away, we were at AUC um, Ministers um, Conference. So that's every um, Adventist minister in Australia. We all went down to Avondale, relived some of our glory days at Avondale and um, learnt and was challenged by some great things down there. And then the week following that, I was at Converge and had the privilege of being there with a lot of our refreshed young adults. And it was amazing. The speaker, um, I just wish that we could have him here and I'd happily listen from um, Despicable Me and Mr. Bean and smooshed them together like that was the speaker. And he was so, so very, very funny. If you um, follow South Queensland um, youth on Instagram or Facebook, they've uploaded his talks. So go and find them. And, and when you watch it, text me and go, oh my goodness, Mr. Bean and Grew. Absolutely. You will, um, yeah, you will see what I mean. Um, and then last week, we headed back to Avondale to drop Ethan off. Cooper was already down there at University, And if you've been following our series, you would have heard Cooper preaching on um, my affection, uh, detection, affection detection, and he used a story of he could see how much affection I had for him when he went last year. So I can safely say that I have just as much affection for Ethan because it happened again this time, and I cried. Um, not, maybe not quite as much knowing that he had someone there with him and family with him. But thank you, church, for the opportunity of, for the people that stepped in when I wasn't here and the opportunity to demonstrate to my family that um, they are really important and that it's important for me to be able to be there for their milestones. So thank you so much um, in that. And today wraps up our series on Philippians, and this is a chapter that I love and hate at the same time, because I think it's hard. I think we wrestle with it. And so as we go through today, I want to, yeah, just give you permission to go, don't just take this on board and go, yeah, of course, yay, because the Bible's amazing, so I should never feel anything other than amazing. We live in a sinful world. There's times when we don't feel amazing. And I think this chapter has, speaks into that space. And so if I give you the opportunity and allow you to just be real with where you're at um, and, and the moments that you have spent, be it now or long or what you're looking forward to in the future. So let it permeate where you are sitting at this moment. But let's pray together first. Father God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come to rest a while with you. 
Lord, you promise that when we gather together that you are there also. And even greater than that, you say that even if we were on our own, you never leave us ever. So Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. We ask that you will open our hearts and minds to have a greater understanding of who you are and how you work so that we can reflect you in a world that so desperately needs hope and joy. We thank you for the ways that you've blessed us in the past. And Lord, pray that you'll open our eyes to seeing you at work in the world around us. In your name, amen. So I want to talk about things that are elusive. Things, yeah, I'm really going to need that, Neil Redmond. Thank you. Yes, a bit like my phone. All right, talk about things that are elusive. So I put together some things that I feel are elusive to me. The first one is my phone. If you ask my sons, does your mum ever ask you to ring her mobile phone purely so she can find it? They would go, yes, all the time. I don't know. I feel like it, yeah. Is it always where I put it down? I'm not 100% sure. Um, but my phone often is elusive to me. The next thing that I find quite elusive, and it's remarkable, is the keys in my handbag. Because I know they are in my handbag, but it seems like they play this remarkable game of tag. And wherever my hand goes, they just run to a different part in my handbag, and they are so hard to find in there. My keys are often elusive. And then there's the, the perfectly length holiday. The perfect length holiday. That is very elusive. Like who gets to the end of their holidays and goes, that was perfect. I'm, I'm all good. This is going to last me all year. Not me. If you do, you must have better holidays, perhaps with a bigger budget than mine is. And what about something else that's elusive, and believe me, I've looked, is the perfect food. And if I was to describe this perfect food, it would be something that tastes like a hot chip dipped in aioli, but it has the effect on my body as celery sticks. That is elusive. I've not found it yet. So I guess I want to ask, and uh, you can yell them out to me, what things do you find elusive? My mum's not here today because, like, she's got a sore left foot. It's not catchy, but, like, it just so happens. Not going to lie, Cooper's in a moon boot too at the moment. Um, but... My mum, I remember I used to play this game with her when I would go out with her for coffee. And the game would be, let's see if they can get your coffee right today. Because she would consistently order a quarter strength decaf caramel latte. And then it would be delivered to her and I would just be sitting there like, what's it going to be today? And it'll be like, oh. That's not quarter strength, that's full strength. Or it would be, oh, they haven't put caramel in it, they've put vanilla in it. Or it will be, oh, there's no, so it was just this, it, <laughs> I don't know if that's a hard order. I'm, I'm a tea drinker, I don't drink coffee. But yeah, it would always seem to be elusive, this perfect coffee for her. So what's elusive to you? Surely I'm not the only one. Surely there's some people out there that are brave enough to yell out what things are elusive to you. You want them, but you can't seem to find them. 
Is there anything? Waking up refreshed. Yes. I can't even see who said that, but you are my, yeah, you're my person. Cooper rang me yesterday morning. They're in daylight savings time. He's got a sore foot. I, my phone rings before five. And the whole day just wrecks your whole day. <laughs> Who wakes up before five other than people like Neil? But yeah, anyway, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, that was offensive. All right, it was a, a before five. Just FYI, if you have my phone number, if you want to ruin my day, call me before five. Like, that's how you can do it. But um, anything else? What's elusive to you? Anything else? Anyone got anything else? Yes. The end of housework. The end of the washing pile. Yeah, 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 I would, yeah. I would agree with that, all right? Anything else? Anything else you find elusive? <laughs> that, yes, we hear you, we hear you. That's a bit like, um, hey, that would work perfectly with the hot chips that act like celery. Like, that would be a good combo if someone could come up with that. Things that are elusive. I did a bit of research. Here's some things that people have said are elusive. See if you can relate to some of these. The remote is elusive. The Loch Ness Monster. This is not... My research was not based on Neil for this one, just FYI. A day without nagging. Um, what were the others? Jeans that say they are comfortable all day and they actually are comfortable all day. That seems to be something that is elusive. A tidy house, we had that one. Cheap fuel seems to be elusive. Referees with perfect eyesight <laughs> seems to be something that is elusive. Now, Forbes magazine ran a poll and asked executives to write down and say, what are the things that you wish you could have, but you just cannot seem to attain them? And these were the answers. 771 executives replied to this poll, and these were the answers. Number one was happiness, money, freedom, peace, joy, balance, fulfillment, and confidence. These were the things that executives said that they found elusive. They desperately desired but couldn't attain. But there's one thing on that list that stands out to me, and for me, I think it's something that relates to every other thing on that list. And when you don't have that, it's really hard to have the others, and that is peace. And I think that's something that this chapter in Philippians that Paul speaks into. It's hard to be happy when you're not at peace. If you're at peace with your situation and where you are in life and what God's placed in your hand, then money is not such an issue for you. If you're at peace with where you are and what you're doing and what's going on in your life, then you will have a sense of freedom when you are at peace, there's space for that joy to come in and fill and overflow. It might not mean, like we heard from Dave last week, it might not mean that your circumstances have changed, but there's a peace so joy can come in that space. If you're at peace with your life and the way things are going, you're going to have more balance, you'll feel fulfilled, and you'll have more 
confidence. Peace stands out, but how do we access it? Because it is one of the things that I will be very, very honest and say in my life, it has been elusive to me. There have been moments where I'm like, I've read in your Bible that you said it's attainable and I've even asked for it, but I cannot find it. Why? How? Please explain this to me. And I think Paul does a really great job in this chapter. So how do we access this peace? And what relationship does it play in how much joy we can feel? Paul talks about rejoicing and joy. We've heard it for the last three weeks. Could it be that we need, I am proposing to you, a perspective adjustment? A perspective adjustment. Could it be that if peace is elusive to us and we are looking for it, but we can't seem to really grab onto it and hold it, could it be that we need a perspective adjustment? And when your perspective changes, what you value changes. And when what you value changes, then your direction changes. And I think this is the gift that Paul gives to us this morning, a perspective adjustment. So let's have a look. We're going to go, if you have your Bible, you can open it up if you want. We're going to Philippians 4. Um, I'll have it on the screen and we're just going to start with verse 1. So Paul writes, well, Paul, you've heard, if you were here for some of our um, previous sermons in this series, you'll know that Paul set up, it actually was the first Christian um, community that Paul started in Eastern Europe. And if you want to read the story of how this group started, you can look in Acts 16, and it will share with you how this was set up. Now, um, Philippi was a Roman colony that was populated by um, a lot of military and ex-military people. So it was a town that was extremely loyal to Rome, the governance of Rome. And so when Paul left after he'd established this church there, these guys were in a precarious situation. They were situated in a space where they would be butting up against opposition if they carried out continuing being followers of Jesus. So we know that at this point in time, Paul is writing this letter to this early Christian community from prison. So he loves them. He misses them. They've actually sent someone to come and see him. They've this, this, this community in Philippi have gone, let's go and look after and nurture Paul. So they've kind of put like a, a little hamper together and they've sent someone and given that to Paul. And this is Paul's return, the last bit of his return message to those people. So let's read Philippians 4 verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, My joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So he's wrapping up this letter of advice that he's given them and he's saying this to kind of the introduction to the end. 
However, when we see that word therefore, it means that this script that we're reading now is connected to something else that was said before. So it's important that we go back and have a look at what does he mean therefore? What's he basing the therefore on? And, oh, wrong way. And if we go back to chapter three, um, we read this. For I, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears. He's emotional as he writes this. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. People have chosen not to follow what they've heard and what they've seen of Jesus. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And he continues, but our citizenship, us as followers of Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's reminding them that their citizenship is not here on this earth, that there is something greater, that you belong to a different community. So then we go back to verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you. You know what? I had on my list to practice these words, so it sounded so amazing when I said them. Euodia? Let's just go with that. My goal is if you ever stand up here or if you have to give a Bible study and you come across a word that you don't know, guarantee you no one else knows it either, so just say it with confidence. They'll rarely question you. And I plead with Syntyche to be the same mind in the Lord. So verse verse one, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. What he's saying is just remember, Remember that your citizenship is in heaven. Remember that by following this Jesus Christ, you understand the price that he paid for you, what he's got to offer you. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. Remember that this earth, there's more to it after this. So even when you come up against hard things, stand firm in this way, dear friends. When it's uncomfortable, stay firm in this. Don't lose sight of what he's offered. Don't think that it doesn't count anymore. I can't see him at work. Stand firm. And then he gives us a really practical example. He actually moves on to talk about these two ladies that have been obviously working with him, but they're in a disagreement. Now, he doesn't say what the disagreement is, and in other parts of his letters, he'll, he'll really specifically talk about a disagreement and, and kind of debrief it, particularly if it's something gospel-related. But in this instance, he doesn't go into it any further. We don't know what they're arguing about. Could it be in some modern-day church they could be arguing about the colour of the carpet? I don't know. It could be, but it seems to be something that Paul wishes that these two people could resolve. How does he tell them to resolve it? He goes, therefore, remember where your citizenship is? 
Remember that you have a common ground. Remember that you as followers of Jesus, you have a different perspective now. What you're arguing about, is it important in the future? Is it worth you having a disconnect with one of your fellow followers of Jesus in light of where you're going? It's a bit like he says something like, well, ladies, do you want to win the friendship or do you want to win the fight? Like, which one? Because in light of who you have been following and how he's shown you how to live, friendship should be the winner here because that's how I've showed you to live. When you're heavenly minded, when you have that understanding of being a follower of Christ and following his example, He's asked them to have a perspective adjustment. Have a look at your conflict in light of how you've chosen to live your life, in light of who you've chosen to follow. Check your perspective. And then when you check your perspective, does that change what you value in this moment? Like what you're arguing over? does it really have that much value? And then if it does, can it change your direction? Can it change you from butting up against someone to going, actually, let's walk this way together? That's the perspective adjustment that Paul is talking about here. It's an application that we can use. And I think it's something that can help us get through some difficult times. And I hope as you're sitting there, you're going through your head going, oh yeah, like I'm actually still a really bit ticked off with that person. Hey, hang on, do I need a perspective adjustment? Because I think there's times when we all do in light of what God's called us to be and, and how we follow him, do we need a perspective adjustment at some points of his life? And then we get to the point in the text that for me reads as sweet as honey. But if I'm really, really honest, there are times when this text wounds me. It hurts. And the reason why it hurts is because there's times when you earnestly say these words, but you don't feel the benefit. And that's why it hurts. And there's times where I feel like you come to God and you're praying for this peace that we're going to read about in a minute. And it just seems so elusive. Why would he offer something? that's not easy to grasp? Or is it that maybe in that moment, I need a perspective adjustment? All right, let's read. It says uh, verse four, so chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Remember, he's saying this from prison. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is Near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the part 
that I've struggled with. And my guess is that this is a part that other people have struggled with too. That you read this verse, when you seek me, when you petition me for this, when you ask for my peace, you will be given it, a peace of God. Actually, not just like peace, peace, but a peace that is supernatural, something that you absolutely cannot muster on your own, something that is out of this world that can only come from the God who created you. And yet there's times when it's so elusive to me. And when I'm standing in the face of something that I have prayed for and longed for for so long, There's times when I just feel like going, I can't pray that prayer anymore. In fact, I can't ask for your peace anymore because when I don't get it, it just hurts too much. So I'm just going to stop asking. I'm just going to go into this self-protective mode where I'm not even going to approach the subject with you because the peace that you say you promise is so elusive to me. But what if it's not? What if all that is needed in that moment is an adjustment to my perspective? What if this peace, what if I could believe that this peace could only come if the person was healed in this moment? What if that was my condition of peace? What if my earthly perspective was, I know that your peace will come to me, I know you'll give it to me, and I know I'll get it as soon as this person is healed. What if that's my perspective, my earthly perspective on this peace? If the sick were healed, peace would come. What if I thought if the chaos was calmed, the peace would come? What if my earthly perspective were, if the burdens were lifted, then the peace would come? Was my perspective focused on the here and now solely of this earth, of what is happening in this moment at this time? What if my perspective shifted To me, viewing my current circumstances as a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of Australia. What if that made a difference? What if I could adjust my perspective and remember that when we read in chapter 3 and verse 21, he promises, I will heal you. It will come. There is a time where those tears that you are crying will be no more, when the pain that you see in the eyes of your loved one will never happen again. Because you are mine and I am yours and there is a day that will come when you will live in a place where there will be no more tears and no more sadness. What if I looked at my current circumstances through that new perspective, my heavenly perspective? Would I be able to move from, I can only find joy and peace if this moment stops? Could I look at someone 
that is sitting across from me and hurting and go, I wish I could take it from you now. But I am 100% confident that there will come a day that you will not feel this pain, that this will be over and your body will be renewed and glorious just like Jesus Christ said, we will be like his own body. What if I change to that perspective? Does it change what I value in that moment? Because in the moment when I look from my perspective, the highest value is what I ask. I want you to change it now. I want to see it, the change. I want the answer now. But when I think about, is he true to what he promises? Is he true to what he says, that there will be a time where he will renew us and we will have bodies like his and there will be no more pain and sorrow? What if I switch my perspective It does give me the ability to, in that moment, go, this is not what you designed right now, but this is not all there is. There is more, and you promised it. It gives me a different focus, a different perspective, and allows you to carry that weight that has not been lifted in a different way, in an understanding that there is more to life than what is here. A perspective adjustment, because without a perspective judgment, uh, adjustment, peace in chaos, to me, it might to you, but peace in chaos makes no sense to me unless I can adjust my thinking to remember that I can have a different perspective. And this is just how I wrestle with it. And when I, we have the the ability to see what happened in history. And these people in Philippi were about to become the community that were going to be ruled by Nero. And the time that they are going to walk into and step into where there was an emperor that wanted to absolutely 100% eradicate Christianity, eradicate Jesus' followers in total, don't leave anyone behind. This is a timely message for them because their path is not going to be easy. What they are about to face is something that I hope as Jesus followers, you and I never have to face. But Paul here is saying, you know what? It's not going to be easy, but please, can I give you a new perspective? Can I give you a different perspective to hold on to so that in those times when it's hard for you to find peace, when it's hard for you to find joy, there's a different way of looking at things. But how do you hold on to that? How do you hold on to that different perspective if things don't change? Like when it gets prolonged, when you get weary, when things get really difficult, when it's blow after blow after blow after blow and you just think, my goodness, when God says he won't give us anything more than we can handle, he must think I'm a lot stronger than I think I am because like how much I could handle was like two months ago. Um, A different perspective. How do you keep it? 
Paul has a solution when we go on to the next parts. He says, finishes, there's a little bit after this, but we're going to stop with this section. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, you know what? If you want to keep that perspective, if you want to adjust your perspective and maintain it at that space, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Look around. Remember where you see me at work. When you know that I'm your creator God and you are in a space that is overwhelming at times or you're crippled with anxiety, walk outside, see what I made you. Understand that I'm still in control in some of these situations. And then even better than that, when you speak to other people, what you watch, what you read, how you interact in your relationships, can you make it positive? Think of lovely things. Think of great things. What you put into your mind, what you put into your hands, what comes out of your mouth, can it be positive? Because what's the point of going the other way if you're wanting to have peace? You and I can be the biggest enemy to our own peace. I knew that as a teenage girl, and I can safely say that the teenage girls that come through my office um, in my, as my role of chaplaincy, I can safely say that this is true. There are moments when I can be my own worst enemy because an incident can happen and it's just a tiny incident, but in a moment, I have made that incident to almost a national disaster that they should be reporting on the Nine News. And not only this incident has it happened to me, but I've taken it upon myself to become a reporter of it and I've told every other person in my grade and empowered them to go and tell everyone else in that grade. And so something that becomes so big when it started out as small because we can sometimes be our own worst enemies. And there's a danger, something that I know has at times become a danger in my life. And I want to warn you against it because it's something that robs us of this peace is when you find someone else and you go, let's make a bond over something negative. This really bad thing's happening to me at the moment. Oh, yeah, this really bad thing's happening to me at the moment. Well, let's make that the base of our friendship. Paul's warning against that. Don't get caught up in this negativity. Don't let the bad, don't get, let the negative become the baseline for the way you speak, the way you talk, what you read, what you listen to, what you focus on, what you pay attention. Stay positive. If you want peace, don't go down that path. Otherwise, you will rob yourself of the peace that I can give you. Think about what's lovely. Think about what's right.
And there's been times in my life, you know, those moments or days where you had a day off when I was working part-time and you'd go, actually, I've got to cook for my family. So, you know, it's really boring if you're home on your own and cooking. So I'll just set my little phone up on my windowsill and I'll put Netflix or something on so I can do that while I'm cooking. And there will be a little tiny moment where I this verse pops into my head and I can be scrolling and going, what am I going to look at while I cook this food? And I'll hear, whatever is lovely, whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is good, think on those things. I'll be like, okay, not that one. Um, And it does, it gives you a change of perspective. God is calling us to be positive people in amongst what we are going through. He's calling us to feed ourselves with positive things, to feed our relationships with positive talking, and that is then we have the ability to lift each other up in those moments, not to bond over negativity. Is there a time when you and your closest friend need to, maybe this is just a girl thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but you just need to vomit out what's gone on, all good. But when you take it further from that and you dwell and there just becomes this festering negativity in your life, it's such a hard space for peace to crack into. So Paul is saying, don't think on those things. Sort through them, but don't let that dwell in the front of your mind. Lilas Trotter, funny name, was someone who understood the journey that Paul took as well. A journey that took you far from home into spaces that were uncomfortable and really hard and really scary. She was raised in a Christian family that was very affluent, so she had a lot of money. She knew from an early age that she wanted to be someone that followed Christ and not just followed him on a once a week kind of thing, but devoted her whole life. In fact, she describes her following Jesus Christ is the rubber on my wheels. Wherever I go, it's the rubber underneath me because I will travel where he wants me to go. She actually has a heart condition. So, you know, she has an ailment that doesn't leave her. There's quite a few parallels with this and Paul. So there's an ailment that doesn't leave her, but she goes, I'm just going to keep on going. And what happens is she hears, she does a lot of amazing work in London. She actually um, starts a cafe for women at the time. Women weren't allowed to eat in a restaurant if they were unaccompanied. So she starts a cafe for women. She helps prostitutes find a new job. She does all these amazing things. And then she listens to a speaker once from a mission in Algeria. And she says, that is where God is calling me to go. And she goes. She has the opportunity to become a famous artist and she turns it down. But there is something really cool about, this is her, about what she does. She writes this letter. She goes into um, Africa and she goes across the Sahara Desert. She goes to places that no English woman has ever been before. She's working amongst Muslims. She was there when the very first Muslim is baptised. Her story is amazing. But I want to see, this is something that I love, and then someone took this and turned it into something else that I think you will actually No, she writes down in a journal. She draws in journals, so she does watercolors. It's amazing. So it says, turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look, look at him. And a strange dimness 
will come over all that is apart from him. When you look to Christ, there's a perspective adjustment that takes place. And the divine trait, which is French for attraction, by which God's saints are made, even in this 20th century, will lay hold of you. For he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart, your heart, that he died to win. She says, when you are in a space where you find no peace, turn your face towards God. Dwell on the amazing things that he has done for you. Remember that your citizenship is in heaven and you can have a changed perspective and what you value changes and then your direction can change. And then a few years later, someone saw this poem, uh, saw this tract that she wrote and went, I'm going to write a poem about that and her life. And they wrote this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When you can't find his peace, when it is elusive to you, turn to Jesus. Turn to him and ask for an adjustment of your perspective. Be reminded of where your citizenship is. So we're gonna finish, but I want you to stand to your feet first. So stand up with me. So Helen Lemel is the lady that turned... Lilas's notes into a hymn. And so I thought today, as we conclude this, let's sing this chorus together. I think it's something that a lot of us here will know. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange, leading in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, we stand here this morning as your sons and daughters who find ourselves in moments where that kind of peace seems elusive. But Lord, we thank you for the reminder this morning that you are there and that when we turn our eyes towards you, you can help adjust our perspective to things that are beyond our time frame and beyond this world. Give us peace, Lord, and help us to, people that, to be people that communicate this peace to other people, reflect it and share it in a world that desperately needs you. In your name, amen.